This is CliffCentral.com. Balin Tuli is a politician and she made a lot of noise not so long ago when she said in February 2020 she was going to run as the Democratic Alliance leader and her candidacy was well received as well as her rollout plan to save the party. Lots of people are talking about you and Balin Tuli, but it's nice to be talking to you. Um, how's your lockdown going? Uh, it's interesting. I'm actually busier than I've been uh, pre-lockdown. Uh, there's so much going on, and I sit on the portfolio that is at the front lines of the lockdown. I sit on Cocteau in the province, so obviously we are dealing with the disaster management of KZN. So we've been very busy, and a lot of stuff is happening. Um, but, I mean, I think like everyone else, I miss the normalcy of life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, what's your what's your take on this this lockdown and all these regulations at the moment? Because I got into trouble. I wrote a letter to the president the other day, and people said, "Oh, you know, who's this guy?" And you know, he's some privileged white dude. What the hell does he know about liberty and freedom? Um, and all I was saying was that there are some of us who are watching some of the more draconian moves by this government, whether or not they expected to have this power or not. They're certainly enjoying it now. Is that your point of view, or do you disagree with me? So um, I think that there was a lot of goodwill from all of us in the beginning. I think that what we expected was that there was going to be a lot happening in terms of getting us prepared. Mm. Certainly that was my impression. And as somebody who has the opportunity to ask these questions, I've been disappointed. And I do think that whilst Cyril and Dr. Mkhize have shown exemplary leadership, um, certainly it's just there's just too much rot that they've been for too long in this country to actually get the turnaround. So when you've had, what, almost 19 years, I would say, of people who've been feeding at the trough, um, you're not going to get the kind of turnaround time for these kinds of things as you'd expect. And so we're not having the water provisions. We don't have the water tankers we were promised. The money to municipalities hasn't come. There aren't enough feds. Mm-hmm. That's not, I think, Cyril and Dr. Keyes' fault. It's the fault of the people below them, and it's the fault of the people that have come before them. And until South Africa has a proper professionalized public service, we're going to see this continue to happen. So I suppose I'm not surprised because I'm at the front lines of this every single day. Um, but I do think that it's a difficult situation for anyone to be in and there needs to be some empathy on all sides. I saw that you were training the other day. I didn't actually get a chance to look at it. Um, no, you missed nothing. I mean, are you? do you use social media and, and are you careful about how you use it? Because often it's just a place for very bitter and resentful people to throw uh, shade at other people, to be extremely vitriolic and cruel. And I've found myself less and less drawn to, you know, the kinds of stuff that you find on social media now. I prefer just doing my show and I've got a bigger audience there anyway. Um, mm. where, where do you find your audiences and, and how do you talk to them? I do use social media. Um, I do use it a lot to inform the public about general things, particularly in my um, portfolios and my realm of sort of influence about stuff that's happening in my constituency, things that I don't think people would ordinarily see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a very good response. And I think that my social media is quite positive. I don't get drawn to trolls. I don't get into tours very much. Um, and I follow a lot of weird accounts, actually. So I use it, I suppose, as a millennial. I use it partly for work, but a lot also for Social stuff means, I mean, I watch things like date my family on a Sunday and I comment <laughs> yeah. that are happening there. Um, so for me, it's, it's not, it's not uh, a cesspool as I see that it can be for many people. Um, but at the same time, I will say that being a politician, I often feel that I 
I'm not always as forthright as I could be on some things because you're constantly thinking about the balance of seeming like a responsible leader. Um, but I mean, the other day I tweeted that I was listening to Cardi B um, remix to Tatiana and Megan Thee Stallion's uh, um, <laughs> song, and it has a lot of profanity. And then I got a lot of people asking, why would a politician tweet this? And I was like, well, if you don't think the profanity can be used as a lyrical device, there's nothing I can do for you. But those songs bang. And that's, you know, who I am. So the only thing for me is often trying to find a balance between myself uh, as much as I am and what a leader should be. Mm. And uh, I mean, that's partly why I think I'm also running for this position, because I think that we need to reimagine the whole situation. And I mean, I've been in hot water before for posting in a bikini for maybe some interesting hairstyles and that kind of thing. But I, I think... Certainly people my age and below are not looking for the typical leaders that we've had. They haven't worked for us. And so hmm. I think the more people can be themselves, the better. So Mbali, there are a few things that I, I need to point out that make you slightly different to the other politicians. And I like these things. So first of all, I have to say happy May the 4th for yesterday because I believe you're a Star Wars fan. So may the 4th be with you. Thank I, you. I also believe you're a big Rick and Morty fan. I am. Awesome. And I'm so excited. The latest episode came out yesterday and I watched it immediately at like midnight. <laughs> Superb. Now, to go back to serious things for a second, these these lockdown regulations, we see people being arrested for cutting their lawn. There's this weird exercise time between six and nine in the morning. Um, there's a curfew at night. Uh, do you find that some of these rules don't make any sense? Because I'm finding that. Sure. So I've asked, obviously, in my COPTA meetings, as well as publicly on public platforms to the various people. I don't understand why it's 6 to 9, not maybe 10 to 12. And I think that we need more transparency around how these decisions are made. Because I don't have a particular problem with when people exercise. I just think that it's bizarre to have those particular hours if you're not going to tell us why those hours. Um, the same, I think, can be said of the curfew. Did we need a curfew when everything's closed already at those times? Are we trying to stop people from going to the garage? Yeah. I mean, there could possibly be really plausible reasons, but until we've been taken into the confidence of the president as to why those particular things, I think we're all going to be scratching our heads a bit. And I mean, I'm from KZN, so six to nine is quite arbitrary for us. I don't know what's happening in other parts of the country. Um, but I would have thought that it would have been smarter to spread it out a bit more, have people going out to different times rather than in a congested time. But yeah. it's difficult to know when you don't have the data in front of you. And I think that that's what we've been asking for the most. And not just that data, but even data since says, where are all these people that are getting sick? And I mean, there have been a number of high applications that I've seen from various organizations and political parties. Uh, because I just found out yesterday that my constituency, which is Umbazi, is the epicenter of Itseguini. Now, you would have thought that that wouldn't be the case, given that it started in places like Santon and Great yeah. African places. Why is Mlazi and four sections of Mlazi having such a huge number of these cases? We don't know. Well, that's very interesting, and it's quite scary. I'm, I'm actually finding that the lack of, of statistical information from the government about the disease is starting to make people think that it's actually not the issue that they thought they were dealing with at the beginning which is maybe not going to work in government's favor long term because people want to know whether or not they should be 
more worried or whether or not they can let their guard down a little bit. And they're not giving us that info. I wonder if they've even got enough information. We know certainly how many tests have been done. And every now and then, every two days or three days, we get an update as to the number of people who've been tested positive and who've died from it. But really, that's that's the the limit. There should be far more data on this, right? I would assume so. But again, even if there wasn't, what I think would be comforting would be to be told we don't have enough data to give you every single thing. Here's what we have and a far more comprehensive listen what we're getting at the moment which i think is possible because Mm. i think i mean obviously it's an unprecedented thing worldwide but there's enough i think that we are not being told to start asking those questions um and as you say i think it's just it's starting to make people feel like ah maybe it's not that bad only a couple hundred people have died maybe we overreacted but then you know we don't know because now the government is saying the peak is only going to be in september what does that even mean it's very unclear and i speak as somebody who is getting I think probably more information than the average person and we're all still scratching our head because we also don't know where to direct resources at a provincial level, certainly, let alone at a national level. And I know that we are not rolling out the testing as much as we should be. And so there's a lot of things that I think in terms of the logistics have not been organised. My personal feeling is that we should be getting on the private sector, people like SAB, people like Coca-Cola, people that do logistics every single day and ask them as governments to To help help us, to help to get out there. And I think that they'd be more than willing to. I think that this would be a great example of South Africa coming together. And I think the same would happen if we did that to medical professionals and people who do this on a daily sort of basis. Um, And I think the government shouldn't be so proud to ask for that kind of help. Yeah, and it seems that they do need that kind of help. I also find that the the police and the military are maybe being a little heavy-handed with people who don't have a voice and with people Mm -hmm. who are being treated very badly in some situations. Obviously, they've got a difficult job, and I understand that things are difficult and people are sometimes not very well behaved. For whatever reason they've made these rules, it's really our job to follow them as conscientiously as we can, unless it's something that you feel that is so imperiling your civil liberties that it's worth disobeying. But are you concerned also that there are troops and police and that they might not be acting in our best interests as citizens? I think certainly the evidence has shown that there has been some heavy-handedness, and I think that we need a briefing, quite frankly, from the Minister of Defence, Justice and Police as to why these things are happening. But even aside from, you know, the acts that we've seen of people being shambuffed in their yards or people being made to do squats when they've come back from stuffing, is the even more banal, banal stuff, which is our police just not being informed enough about permits. I've been stopped a few times. I'm an essential worker, so I've been moving around between different communities. And I've had different people ask me or tell me different things at every single checkpoint, essentially. So I think that we've done a disservice even to our policemen by not really giving them the information that they need to have to do their jobs well. I think there's too much, um, or there's there's been a lack of coordination, I think, in, in terms of getting everyone to be on the same page. It was the same thing that happened with the cooked food. In some neighbourhoods, you were seeing pies being sold. In some neighbourhoods, shops were being told to close down by the police. Um, and so I, I wonder how much that is really the police's fault in that kind of sense than it is just the lack of information that's come from the department. So I do think that our ministers of those two portfolios need to brief us on, on what's happening and what they've actually done to make sure that our security personnel know exactly what's happening. And more importantly, for those that have been found who have you know transgressed in their duties, what's going to happen? Because you mm. just can't have a situation where people are being beaten in their own homes. 
it's ridiculous. And it's only happening predominantly, and I think this is where social media is perhaps correct, to people who don't have voices and people that can't yeah. afford voice. Um, and I think that that's particularly distressing. No, that's very worrying. And it, it upsets me that those are the people who you would think the police and the army might have more compassion for. But it seems, uh, uh, it seems alas, that's not the case. So, Bali, how is the DA leadership position situation going? I mean, are you are you guys on hold with that at the moment? Is there another round coming up? I honestly haven't been paying attention to party politics at all, so don't get cross with me. But you know, it's not a priority right now, and I'm sure it isn't for you either. Yeah, no, it's not. And I suspended my campaign at the beginning of the lockdown um, as the president announced that it would be happening mm. because I think that it would just be in poor taste to be trying to internally <laughs> lobby for a position when people are worried whether they're going to get sick and potentially die. So my campaign is suspended, as are the other two people, but obviously somebody like John Steenhazen is the interim leader, so... He doesn't necessarily have to campaign. Um, he has the platform of being the leader in these times. Yeah. Um, and so I think what's going to happen is that the corona will determine whether we have this election even this year. Currently, it's been postponed from this Saturday, actually, to the 31st of October and the 1st of November. If our peak is going to be in September, I doubt that's going to happen. Helen has been, I think, on a few things saying that she would like us to entertain the possibility of an online conference. I don't think that that's something that is reasonable for the DA at this stage. And I don't think that this is the kind of uh, environment that you want to be the elected in, where people might not have data, you're not going to have the kinds of debates that the party desperately needs to get itself organized and to actually understand where it's going. And also just for the spirits of the internal election and debates, I certainly wouldn't feel as a candidate if I was elected that I would have been legitimately elected in that kind of environment. And I don't think the other candidates would either, but we'll have to see. So who are you up against? John and? I'm up against John Steenhazen and John Moody, who is the current leader of Harting. All right. What's your secret weapon and how are you going to beat them? Come on. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think my whole approach and my entire election campaign has been run against or around us really trying to have a new way of politics, trying to reach out to people who haven't been interested in politics before, people who have perhaps left the party because, you know, there might have been disillusioned with the way that we were doing things, um, and people that have never really been interested in looking at the DA at all. I think that the messenger counts, and I think that I'm different to both those people in that, one, my strengths are definitely on the ground, and um, trying to connect and get people who can sort of form a movement to come into the party, and I think I've proven that beyond both of those candidates. But also, I think I'm different enough that I'm not trying to be, you know, a statesman and uh, sort of in the old mold politics. I'm trying to say that you can be an ordinary person, any kind of person, and potentially be able to be the leader of the Democratic Alliance or any other political party, and that's what we should be trying to do. We should be trying to stop party politics having such a huge bearing on the way that people do politics in this country. And I think, for me in particular, I've seen that it really hinders us from being able to get the best out of our public representatives. But also, I think it's off-putting to a lot of people because they Mm. have this stigma-attached politicians. And what you really want is to attract all kinds of professionals, all types of people from different walks of life who can really come into the mold and bring in their expertise or their life experiences. And right now you can't do that 
because it's such a cesspool of people who are determined to win at all costs. And I'm young enough, I think, that people don't feel intimidated by that. And I'm also willing to listen and, quite frankly, just, I think, have the energy to try and do things differently. And I think the Democratic Alliance in particular really needs that. I think that we've been pigeonholed into a stereotype for a long time and it's been very difficult for the party to get out of it and I don't think that either of the other two leaders are going to be able to take us out of that convincingly whereas I by my very nature am so completely different from what is typically thought of to be the VA leader that that's plus my 12 years of experience as a public rep I've been a counselor in NPL I've run the party's elections for phase then I've been the youth leader the youth chair there's not very much that I haven't done in the party. So in terms of experience, I tick the boxes, but I'm also still, I think, an outsider and weird enough to shake the table. <laughs> weird enough, huh? All right, well, Bali, we are looking forward to catching up with you in person at some point in the near future. I hope this lockdown doesn't last very much longer or there won't be much of a future for our economy or for the, the ANC, DA or anybody, frankly. So I'm, I'm really hoping that we can move ahead and get things going. But in the meantime, thank you very much for talking to us and thank you for voicing your concerns, which I think are the concerns of many people. Tell those uh, fine people of Umlazi, uh, I'm one of the few white people who's been there, that I say hello. And I hope that we will catch up closer to the time that you are standing for election as DA leader. See how that goes. Thank you. I look forward to it. I was the second politician to be on your wall, actually. That's right. Yeah, we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Thanks, Bali. Thank you. This is CliffCentral.com.